Will you pray with me? God, your grace is like the light in the morning. May we hear your voice today through conversation with another, through music, through silence, through spoken word. May you change in us, and may we be your people. Amen. In a culture that holds the search for the self as one of the greatest quests in life, I work among some of the most dedicated people on that journey. As a youth minister, I live among young people who are constantly working towards a well-formed and affirmed by others identity. For youth, an identity is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It is the fountain of youth. It is the treasure buried in a field worth all you have. And this sense of identity is more than just a combination of character traits like having brown hair or liking sports or things like that. Rather, a firm sense of one's identity offers the confirmation of one's very existence and being and the fact that you're alive. And though one would suggest that all people have an identity as sure as the breath they exude from their chest, it often feels far from secure during the teenage years. This sense of identity can feel elusive and unreliable. Kinda Creasy Dean suggests that young people can feel subconsciously as if their identity might just collapse and fade away if they are not careful, dissolving into the background unless you work to make your life known to others and to yourself and to the world. It's like this all-consuming black hole lurking around the corner waiting to swallow you up if you don't notice it, a delete button on your Facebook profile. A rumor that could change your reputation, or a sports game, or the SAT, or a party whose outcome holds the power to change your reality, to change your life as you know it. So this fear of losing the me that I know, the me that I understand, creates an environment where youth are predisposed to do radical things in an effort to find that identity, to give their life away to that which will make them happy and good. And as people who are built for relationship, as we as humans are, that search for the self becomes naturally intertwined in building relationships with others. And like prized jewels, teens collect friendships and romantic relationships that name for the world who they are and who they actually want to be. Dean suggests that youth are on the hunt for friendships and intimacies that confirm their existence. People whose affection and affirmation will essentially love them into being. And if you've seen Twilight, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But lest we as adults point fingers in ways that suggest we are above such extremes, We must acknowledge that this search for the self and search for permanence in this world is not only a characteristic of teenagers, but it is a human characteristic. It is a human search that we're on, longing for an existence, a life, an identity that is not susceptible to the pains that other people inflict on us or by the changes that time can bring in our lives. It just might maybe easily identified in teens, but that's just because we become better as adults at hiding it 
or mastering it and making it socially acceptable. We have the luxury of accumulating stuff to fool ourselves into believing that our lives are stable and secure. We collect parts to play, whether as jobs or relationships, mother, father, grandparent, lawyer, doctor, etc., that tell others who we are. We store up approval, whether as awards or recognitions or reputation, that tell the world and others that we have value. We, we accumulate wealth, whether in the bank or our clothes or our homes, that tell other people that we are good and happy and secure. And then, in the midst of our accumulation, we are able to temporarily forget our fragility. We tell ourselves we are in control. We build walls around the vulnerable that lives within us. And within those walls, we might feel invincible and can relax for a moment. And it's why teenagers and their fragile identities make us feel uncomfortable. For lives that remind us of the impermanence of our roles and our identity, of all our worldly games, it makes us feel threatened and unsure of ourselves. And it's why I imagine that the religious leaders felt the desire to squash this man who was preaching a revolutionary countercultural word amongst their own people. For the religious leaders who were set that execution of Jesus in motion were people of success. They were the reliable, trustworthy people of the day. They had collected and stored up and accumulated enough to be in a position to take out that which made them feel uncomfortable. But with the activity of Jesus amongst their people, you can sense that they feel that crack in their veneer, that sense that their walls of security might be threatened, the hint that they may not be invincible among their own people, and that the worldview they teach may not be the whole truth. So taking advantage of this identity as leaders of the day and try to get away from that feeling, they act as those who do when their power is threatened. They seek to take control and stabilize the situation, turning Jesus in for claiming to be king of the Jews, which is a blasphemy in the culture, something that they know will get him killed. They call in favors, and they pull the strings that they get to do with friends in high places, and thus we find Jesus moving up the chain of command into the hands of Pilate, the Roman prefect of the day, and that's where we find him. Jesus goes into the headquarters of Pilate. Pilate, the one who presumed by all living in that day to ultimately hold the power. Pilate stands as that teacher waiting to give you the grade. The boss sitting behind the desk at the performance review, or the judge in the minutes before a sentence is read aloud. So Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? It's a straightforward question. It is a yes or no question. And as people who read this today, we desire a clear response from God. One that can grant us a firm, reliable identity as followers of the king. We want Jesus to respond with a resounding yes. Furthermore, as people who celebrate Christ the King Sunday today, we almost expect an aggressive, victorious, sword in hand like the Revelation window response from our king, yes, I am here to save my people. And yet, we find a Jesus who instead is a bit passive-aggressive, elusive, Resolved to his death and even a bit snarky. 
Is that what you think or is that what other people have told you? He goes on to talk about his kingdom, one that is beyond life as they know it, one that isn't protected by force as the one that Pilate is running. So you are a king, Pilate responds, unable to determine what Jesus is actually getting at. Will you say so? For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Not denying it, but not confirming Pilate's assumption of what it means to be king, Jesus talks with Pilate, but it is a disjointed conversation, one seemingly riddled with miscommunication and confusion. And it's as if these two people in one room are having two completely different conversations. Back and forth banter where Pilate is asking what he believes to be the central question of the hour, are you the king of the Jews? While Jesus is redirecting him to the greater question at hand, do you hear my voice? Do you know of this kingdom, this greater reality, the truth to which my people belong? Could you be a person who hears and belongs to the truth? Like a parent with a toddler that I know, Jesus practices the great exercise of redirection of taking Pilate's hand and leading him down a path that Pilate didn't even know existed. And yet Pilate, like a toddler that I know, remains standing, defiant, firm in his own place, stuck in his worldview, completely ignorant and unaware, unable to take down any walls around him enough to understand where Jesus is pointing the conversation. And in his final question, what is truth? We hear not some attempt just at being philosophical, but just evidence that he has completely missed the point. For Pilate, stubbornly planted in the world of power and wealth and resources, defending those walls he has so carefully built around him, he is consumed in the question, are you threatening me and my power? What did you do? Jesus, aware that He is the one holding the ultimate power, subtly takes hold of the interaction. And as people who read the text now, the scene becomes very clear to us in a way that Pilate couldn't understand at all. For it's an interaction between the top of the food chain and the one who created the food chain. It is an interaction between the ruler of the Roman world versus the author, hero, and redeemer of the whole entire world. So our soon-to-be-crucified king stands boldly before Pilate, the worldly power of the day, unarmed and unassuming, victorious and yet not in the way that the world or we even today would expect. And this is our king. Our king is one who does not grab power through means of violence or compel followers through physical force or emotional manipulation. Our king is the one who lovingly invites even Pilate in this moment to be one who belongs to the truth. Our king is the living embodiment of God. Revealing the true nature of our God, not an angry dictator parent, but a sacrificial and life-giving creator. And Jesus stands there united with us in our humanity in that human body. 
stands in Pilate's headquarters on behalf of his disciples and the leper and the woman at the well and you and me as the true representative of humanity before God. And this same Jesus, united with God as fully divine, stands in Pilate's headquarters in front of the whole world as the true representative of God who will go on to show through the redemptive act of his death and his resurrection that God is the good shepherd, laying down his life to show that God's love always wins. So this teen impulse, or rather this human impulse, to secure our identity by giving our lives away is not just a character flaw or a weakness or a liability. It is the very fingerprint of God within us. It is the image of God within us. The question is more, to whom are we giving our lives away? To the gods of success and security that the world promises but rarely actually fulfills? Or to the God whose love has already been perfected in the good shepherd who lays down his life for the world? And we will never be able to give our lives away in the same way that Jesus does through his death and resurrection. And that's okay. For God does not need us and our heroic attempts to save the world. Jesus didn't want his followers to break down the doors to save his life when he is standing in those headquarters. And I believe that our place is not in Pilate's headquarters. Jesus instead calls us to be people who belong to the truth. And belonging to the truth isn't about perfecting our doctrine as if believing a series of statements about God is the goal. And belonging to the truth isn't about perfecting our actions as if perfection is needed from us for God. But belonging to the truth begins here inside of each of us. It demands that we listen to the voice of God. And it requires that we allow those words of God to make their way through those walls of security and safety that protect the vulnerable within us. And we let God go to that place where the real connects. The place deep down that is able to know and receive the truth, to truly connect with God. For what God truly desires is to connect with us so that over time we hear the voice of God and understand and ultimately embody the truth. And the truth that though our lives are are fragile and temporary, our God is strong and eternal. And when we let that truth dwell in us, we transform into people who belong to the true king. And that is our identity. It is an identity that will not dissolve or disappear or fade away and does not need our walls of safety to build up around it in order to survive. So as we live into this holiday season, we are reminded vividly of the passing of time. For as the occasions come, whether Thanksgiving or Christmas, we are aware of the lives that are no longer with us. Traditions that change over time and troubles that persist year to year. We become acquainted with the reality that life as we know it is not permanent. 
So we take this initiative to pause and to listen anew so that we may belong to the truth that is greater than us and greater than our lives and live in God's world that offers the possibility of the peace that allows us to stand in the midst of the storm and a love that does not fade as time goes on and a hope that continues even in the faith of death and goodbyes. And in that truth, we are bold enough to speak words of hope to each other as we're on the edge. It's why we are vulnerable enough to immerse ourselves in the strife of another. And it's why we're humble enough to come back every week to this space, to reorient ourselves so that we do not get lost in the reality of this world but rather hear the voice of God and find our belonging in the truth of the real reality that is God's desires and intentions for this world and for you and for me and our lives. For there are people that desperately need news of this greater, bigger, more reliable and life-saving hope than the hope of success and worldly gains that we seek after in our days. So let us give thanks this weekend for the turkey, which I hope you had, and for the family that I hope you are surrounded by, and for the season ahead. But let us also live out lives of gratitude for that which is bigger than we are and bigger than our lives are, for the King and the Good Shepherd and the God of love that was and is today and will be tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. So should today be the day that you want to say yes to belonging in the truth or to join this community as we seek to be people who belong to the truth. It's our tradition that in the singing of our final hymns that we commit ourselves to God and should it be public that we come forward and we share that with our community. Now to the one who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish far more than all we could ask or imagine. To God, may we give our worship and our praise and our very lives. Amen.